Welcome to the Waste Not, Want Not podcast. I'm Philippa Ross, human ecologist, enthusiologist, author, healer, and now podcaster, bringing you inspirational interviews and tips from local, national, and international people who are making the most of their natural resources to minimize waste and maximize their potential for personal and planetary growth. You can find the show notes and lots more at philippaross.com. Hello, Waste Busters. Welcome to the very first episode I'm launching on the 1st of December 2021, which just so happens to be Antarctic Day, a continent very dear to my heart because my great-great-great-grandfather, Sir James Clark Ross, discovered the Ross Sea in 1841. Today marks the fourth anniversary since the region officially became a marine protected area. It also marks the 60th anniversary since the Antarctic Treaty came into force, setting the continent aside for peace and science. Having also reached my 60th year, I decided to dedicate the next phase of my life to helping humanity build our relationship with the planet. I've carved a niche for myself as a human ecologist, mentoring people to harmonise their internal and external worlds to help them live life to the full. I have a background in psychology and have studied quantum physics, human ecology, energy psychology, ontology, philosophy, epigenetics and psychoneuroimmunology. I have an insatiable thirst for knowledge and am intrigued by the intricate interconnected web of life. As Einstein said, look deep into nature and you'll find the answer. One man who has a deep connection to nature is my first guest, David Laws, an inspiring, authentic, down-to-earth man who shares the lessons he learned when his life morphed from the highs of living as an ambitious individual working in the corporate world to the lows of having nothing and feeling worthless and the journey he's been on to fully embrace his true self and become a professional flower man. Welcome, David. It's an absolute privilege to have you as my very first guest on Waste Not, Want Not. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you, Philippa. It is my absolute privilege and honour to be invited to be a part of your uh, podcast. Excellent, excellent. So um, can you enlighten our listeners and let them know what exactly is a flowerman and how did you choose the profession or did it choose you per se? (laughs) That's a good question, honey. It's a question I get asked a lot. And no, I'm not a florist. (laughs) I'm a flower man, but no floristry. Uh, I'm one of those very rare um, psychics that actually read flowers for a living. And for many people out there, they may not even know that flower reading is a psychic um, uh, modality that can be used very successfully. And the beautiful thing about flower reading is that it's a very, very old ancient art that dates back to the Aboriginal dream time, I believe, and it's all based on the beautiful art of psychometry. Many people have heard of people who read jewellery and uh, people can take a a piece of jewellery or an item from somebody. They can close their eyes and focus on it and they get pictures, images and messages and uh, tuning in to to that vibration. And it's exactly the same as flower reading. The lovely thing about uh, flower reading is the fact that it's um, something that uh, the, the reason I guess I love it so much is the fact that it's um, something that um, it's all connected to nature and everything in nature has a vibration. Every plant, 
every flower, everything that, that is grown by nature, everything that is living has a vibration of its own. And that's what I tune into when I read flowers. So the lovely thing about it is that, they are, yes, it is an old ancient art. And for me, it's an art that I started practicing 38 years ago. Wow. So that's when I was introduced to the concept of it. And to answer your question about how I chose it, well, like you said, honey, uh, um, our gifts do not choose us. Uh, sorry, we don't choose the gifts, they choose us. Um, some people are very gifted singers and performers and artists and teachers and, you know, plumbers and electricians and whatever's meant to be is meant to be. And for me, uh, the gift and talent that I've got is being able to uh, read for people and help give them some guidance. So that's what I pretty much, uh, pretty much do. And, um, and crazily enough now, this has actually been my full-time profession for the last 12 years. So for the last 12 years of my life, all I've done is pull flowers out of paper bags for people all around Australia. And uh, it's taken me across the length and breadth of this wonderful country and uh, has led me to where I am today. Awesome. Awesome. So it's not something that you'd um, find out um, through a, a career guidance um, or anything like that. So how did you actually discover it's a thing? Because I actually believe there's only four or five of you worldwide. Is that correct? Look, there's many people that read flowers, um, as, as we say, Philippa, but the lovely thing about when I say there's only four or five of us, to my, the best of my knowledge, I think there's only four or five of us that read flowers for a full-time living as right. a full-time profession. There are many people, many psychometrists that, uh, that read flowers or jewellery. I mean, there's thousands of us around the world, I guess, but to the best of my knowledge, there aren't that many people that do this as a full-time living, and that's something that I... Uh, you know, through my own research um, have, has, you know, I've discovered. And it's a beautiful thing because it's something that's a little unique and the way that it works um, is that, you know, when you work with a group of people, it's a, it's a very, it makes for a very entertaining night out when, uh, when I work, you know, with a group of people because I only work in groups of people when I read the flowers and uh, makes it very unique. So do you choose the flowers or do people come with flowers? No, people, people bring, I always say to people, just choose an item out of the garden. It can be a leaf, it can be a piece of foliage, it can be a flower, it can be anything at all that nature has grown in the garden and just, you just blow on it, uh, put your essence, your energy into that item, drop it into a, a, a plain paper bag and mark the bag with a, a number or a symbol of some sort for your own identification and you bring it along to my little gatherings Everybody puts all the bags in the middle of the floor. I don't know who owns what. And wow. I just sit down there, walk into the room, close my eyes, hold up the bag. And uh, I'll say to the person, well, I've got number 16 here with a triangle on it. And you will receive all your messages before I know that it's actually your item. So you'll get, you'll get your flower reading before I know that it's yours. Excellent. I love the anonymity of it. That's great. Correct. That's it. And that's what I suppose that's the magical aspect of it, Philippa, in the sense that um, it's beautiful because people just get blown away. I still get blown away by some of the messages that do come through. And uh, when they do come through and people go, oh, my God, how could you possibly know that about me? And that um, they are so good at uh, picking people's personalities and characteristics and aspects of their life, either past, present or future um, events that have, that have been occurring. You get it's endless what you can pick up from people's flowers and uh, from their bags. And uh, I just close my eyes. And as soon as I close my eyes, I go into another world and I just trust implicitly everything that comes through from spirit. So whether it's a, I utilize all of my senses, the same as we do in the physical world, 
taste, touch, feel, smell, um, sensitivities and sensing, all of those, uh, all of the clairs as we call them, um, I utilise those and um, I, I see much more with my eyes closed than I do open. Wow. So how did you um, discover it was actually a thing? <laughs> well, it's so funny. I mean, as you can imagine, one does not wake up one morning and go, hmm, I think I'll read flowers. Oh, that's what I'll do. Not unless you've had a big night out at the pub. <laughs> and uh, and uh, for me, um, I, uh, I became aware of my psychic ability, gift, and I suppose my intuition when I was very, very young. I don't remember how old, but I was very young. And back in those days, back in those glory days of the early mid-70s when I was growing up, you know, there was no history of psychic um, skills or abilities in my family. And and the psychic world per se, as it's known and embraced today, just wasn't even spoken about or known back in those days and quantified by the fact that I lived in a quite a small country town back then. And so the word psychic wasn't even known or discussed, let alone have this ability and skill to tune into things. And uh, I'm the eldest of four children. And uh, I don't know why, but I always just knew in, intuitively what I could see and feel about certain people that I would meet. And back in those early days, I used to just say to people, can I just hold your hand, please? And uh, I would hold a hand, close my eyes, and I would elicit my guidance that way from the universe and you know, come out with a couple of messages for that person. And that's how it pretty much was. And I didn't think it was anything you know, particularly flash or exciting was just a, I just had this, I just knew what to say to people to help them out with something. And I might add, uh, Pip, that it was also something that was always very uplifting for people. And it always brought through positive messages and upliftment and was not to do with um, negativity or horrible messages or, you know, scary things. It was always uplifting stuff that came through and mum and dad couldn't really get their head around it. They didn't understand what it was. And it freaked mum out a couple of times because I would give her little predictions about her friends and she would write it off and say, oh, look, that's utterly ridiculous. But over the course of time, they would go back to mum and say, my God, do you remember what David told us at the barbecue that day? That's all come to pass and it's all happened exactly like he described. And mum got a little freaked out about it and asked me to sort of tone it down a little. And uh, so I did, and I guess and we moved to Sydney when I was 20 from the little country town that we lived in. And uh, that's when, that was in 1980. And remember back in those times, Pip, when there was no such thing as the internet, no such thing as mobile phones. And we lived in a world of books. It was yep. just books and, and meeting the right people who hopefully would put you into contact with the right group of people and you would meet people that way or they'd provide information to you and guide you towards particular types of people and groups. And that's how it all started for me. And then... Um, after that, there was around that time that word got out about this young guy who was holding people's hands and giving them little messages and word filtered back to a particular lady who came to see me for one of my little famous hand readings and um, uh, hand readings. And then she, um, she was the one who said to me, do you, do you know who that fellow is standing beside you in spirit? I said, what? And she was a real Aussie God lover. She's uh, long since passed now, sadly. And uh, <laughs> She was one of Sydney's finest trans mediums and I had no idea who this lady was. And she was saying to me, she said, there's a little fellow beside you and uh, he's giving you all your messages. I said, oh, wow, who are you? And she said, and she was a real, real locker god lover. She said, yes, love. She said, he's the one giving you your messages. And she said, he's telling me to tell you that one day you'll read flowers for thousands of people. And I said, that is so cool. Who is your drug dealer? Wow. And she said, <laughs> she said Nala, I'm, Nala, I'm serious. I'm telling you. And she was a real locker god lover. 
And she said, oh, no, you'll read flowers for thousands of people. I had no idea what that was. And anyway, in essence, she invited me back to uh, her house on a Tuesday night. And she said, look, come over on a Tuesday night. And I do, I conduct a healing group. And I've got a nice group of people I'd like to introduce you to. And I teach people how to do readings and, you know, flower readings and so forth. And that's how it all kicked off for me. Wow. Wow. Extraordinary. And, and, and that would have been 37, 38 years ago, something like that. Yeah. Excellent. So has life um, always been as a flower reader? Obviously not. What, what were you up to before? Oh, oh gosh, no. Well, as I said, no, flower reading has only been my, my uh, forte for the last 12 years of my life. But uh, back in those days when I met Denise and was working uh, and met her and she was helping me along the way, um, I, um, I, was, I just started my career in the uh, media industry. And I was in the media industry for quite some time in Sydney, started within the printed media in the Fairfax News Group with newspapers and ended up um, managing four mastheads in Sydney for the Fairfax News Group. So I had quite quite a long career in the media industry, which I loved and adored at the time. Uh, And then from there, my now former wife and I commenced a distribution business with alternative medicine. And, uh, you know, we started a little business on our kitchen table and uh, turned it into a multi-million dollar uh, empire, which was great. And uh, that became our mainstay for the next, uh, probably the next seven or eight years, I guess. And then we, uh, you know, we uh, got divorced uh, amicably, thank goodness, and uh, went our own separate ways. And I gifted her our business entirely and to set her and our daughter up financially and to look after them. And that pretty much cleared the way for me to um, do what I wanted to do, but it was around that time that um, life just completely collapsed for me. Uh, that was around the time of the GFC, that uh, that global financial crisis. And uh, back in those days, um, um, I just, the remaining money that I had left um, all dissipated because I got tied up in some um, awful investments that went belly up and just uh, left me penniless and broken. I think I was 49, uh, years of age and I had $49 left in my wallet and that was it after a lifetime of work and heartache and toil and and uh, that was it so essentially I was stripped of my family all of my savings all of my material things and my car was repossessed um, yeah just lost everything and I just had to it was like starting back at scratch from when I left school with nothing so here I was so I had to uh, reset my life like from something like that then pardon me how do you turn life around from something from reaching such a low? Well, from that point, um, how do you turn your life around? Well, firstly, you have to let go. You have to surrender. And I'm telling you, sweetheart, I surrendered. I was broken. I was trashed. I thought I was worthless, had nothing left. And I remember one beautiful sunny day. I laid on the beach at Corumban Beach on the Gold Coast. And uh, it was a Monday morning. And I walked up to the northern end of the beach where there was no one there and I just laid down the sand and just bawled my eyes out and just cried and just cried and I just thought, I've just got nothing and I am nothing, I'm worthless, I've got no gifts or talents and who's going to, you know, how am I going to turn my life around now at this age, midlife at the age of 49 with nothing and uh, it was just seemed to be a hopeless thing. But I remember um, Spirit um, gave me an image. I had this image that came into my head and it was just a, of a tiny little birthday candle with a little flame on it. And the message just came that, and it's some, it was something along the lines, Pip, of um, keep your eye on the flame. It's going to turn into a bushfire. 
And I had no idea what that meant. I didn't have a clue. And uh, I was um, just drifting along. And very, very fortunately for me, a very dear friend of mine uh, took me in and offered me um, free board in her house until I got back on my feet because I couldn't rent anywhere. I had no, I'd lost my business, uh, lost all my income. And um, I was uh, too proud to uh, go to the government and ask for uh, financial assistance. It was just beneath me to uh, go and, uh, you know, join the, the dole queue, as they say. But, yeah. you know, in times of stress, one of the silliest things you can do is not ask for help. But my pride, my ego got in the way and I thought I'm bigger and better than this and I'll get through on my own. So I sort of, you know, bumped and scraped and kicked and it came along. And it was during that time when I was just flailing and had no idea what life held for me. I had no idea what my future was going to be. Um, and that's when my dear friend who took me in as a boarder, she said to me one day, she said, didn't you um, used to do flower readings at one stage? I said, oh, God, honey, that was a, quite a long time ago. And I said, to be honest, I said, uh, I think the bank might have even repossessed that gift as well. Everything else oh. is gone. <laughs> and she said, she laughed and she said, look, why don't I get a few girls together and, you know, we can do a little flower reading. And she said, look, it'll, you know, put a little bit of cash in your pocket to help you out. I said, well, sure, okay, if, if you feel that's, that's okay. She said, well, there you go. And then, anyway, she invited eight or nine ladies over one Thursday night. I'll never forget. That was, gosh, that would have been about 12 years ago now. And um, anyway, um, so she invited them over and we did the flower reading and I was very rusty in my head. I thought, oh, God, you know, this is going to be humiliating, embarrassing. And I said to her laughingly, I said, I think the banks repossess, repossess that gift. And I said, if no messages come through, we'll turn it into a Tupperware party. Because I said, you know, she laughed. And she, uh, anyway, but they came along and they were very impressed. And three of the ladies there said, have you got a card? I said, oh, God, no. And one of them said, well, you know, we'd, we'd like to book you for some of our friends because we've thoroughly enjoyed tonight. And then Diana said, well, here's your chance. So anyway, I booked those three ladies for a flower party and would you believe I've not stopped working since and that was 12 years ago and recently I celebrated my 16,000th reading so uh, wow. Fantastic. Yes. I don't keep track of the numbers but my office do so calculated out it's somewhere around about three months ago I passed the 16,000 flower reading mark so I guess I could probably safely say that I've read more flowers than any person on planet earth fantastic fantastic <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So um, I do remember um, you saying in our pre-interview sort of thing that you, um, with this letting go business, you'd also um, come to realise with your marriage breakup and things that there was another side to you as well when you came out. Yes, correct. That's right. Yes, indeed, indeed. Now, this is part of the joy of um, living uh, an authentic life. And this is something I teach in a lot of my programs and workshops to Philippa. And, you know, we live in a world where too many people live in a confinement, uh, usually confinement of their mind and in the confinement of what society deems is right and correct. And sadly, for a great many people, that is a very confined and limiting life. And that's what can lead to a lot of illness and sadness and depression and despair, because people are not uh, living who they authentically and truthfully are. And for me, after 20 years of marriage, I came to the realisation and had to face the truth that I was gay uh, in spite of meeting a beautiful lady who I still love and adore to this day in my own special way. And thankfully, we have an, a, 
absolutely beautiful daughter as well, who's now married and um, got two beautiful grandkids for us. And thankfully, we're all very close still, which is great. And uh, it was, um, you know, it was a, an amicable journey for all of us, uh, fraught with, you know, tears and sadness and despair in the beginning, as it always is. But mm. we uh, thankfully, Lisa, my beautiful former wife and I, we were able to uh, reconcile, you know, what had happened just from the mere fact that we'd done so much personal development in our life through the course of time. So we'd done a lot of PD stuff. Uh, but at the age of 46, uh, yep, it was uh, time to come out to the world. And uh, it's a very, very daunting experience for any anyone that has experienced that because you don't know how that's going to be accepted. And Lisa and I were loved by a great many people and we had a very, very high business profile. So we were known by many, many people, and it was just terrifying for me to think, my God, I don't know how I'm, how I'm going to be treated now and whether I'm going to be treated as a pariah and locked out of people's lives and, you know, kicked out of people's lives. And I was, I, I suppose, more than anything, I was just devastated at the thought that I'd probably lose my daughter. But, I mean, thankfully, nothing could be further from the truth. And, uh, uh, and really, in the, in the essence of the whole experience, I really didn't lose a single soul. Um, I didn't lose any family or friends. I mean, only one person I can think of um, stepped away out of my life, but that was their uh, that was their choice and decision to do so. But it had nothing to do with me. But even my ex in laws, I think Christmas before last, they invited me to Sydney and I had Christmas with them. So you know, we've all remained very close. And yeah, so you know, it's been a journey. But most importantly, I say to people, just please have the courage to be you. I only wish to God, you know. Pip, I, I, I mean, gosh, I'm 61 years of age now, and I'm, I'm at that point now where I don't give a damn what people think about me. I don't even, I don't care what they think about me. I don't care what they think about what I do for a living. It's of no relevance to me because I'm a free, totally free and open spirit, and um, I, I live a magical life. It's just amazing, and I have the enormous privilege of uh, traveling around Australia as we sit here recording this. I'm sitting here with my dear friend Scotty and Kerry's gorgeous home down in Penguin in northwest Tasmania, right on the edge of the beach here. And I'm looking down as I sit here, I'm looking at you and I've got the beach in the background here. I think, oh, my God, like, oh, it's this sad, is just eh? crazy. <laughs> and how many people would love to be in this position to, to be able to do what you love to do? And it's lovely when you can be who you want to be without judgment and you can do whatever you want to do without judgment. And I've got to tell you, honey, there's, there's no greater freedom in life when you're doing that, when you're aligned, when you're totally aligned, oh my God, the world aligns with you. That's right. And it's, it's, um, judgment is a huge part of it, but it's also fear. Um, like you, um, I just reached, um, 60 in July of this year. And, um, like you, I couldn't give a flying fart what anybody thinks of me or anything. Um, and Good. I decided that with it, having acquired a wealth of wisdom over the years, it was about time I did something different. So I've jumped in and started the podcast because I have a great interest in, building the relationship basically with nature um, and I call myself a human ecologist because it's about um, bringing balance to our inner and outer worlds really and aligning the two and so you know you're a fantastic first guest to actually which really epitomizes um, the crux of the message and it's but fear is a massive thing um and mm. sense of self sense of belonging and the thing that stops either one of those is fear which we are absolutely um well it's prevalent big time at the moment isn't it 
Well, it is, honey. And, you know, unfortunately, fear is a part of our world from the moment we're born. Yeah. And even yeah. we could have the most loving, caring and well-meaning parents, but they are, uh, uh, they're, um, you know, limited by fears of some sort. Fear is a part of our nature. And sadly, when we are constantly in a world that is projected and trapped in fear, I mean, one, one only has to switch on the TV and there's your first programming for the day. That's why we call it a TV program because we're being programmed to be fearful and to be frightened of what's on there. And that's why the news is the worst thing that anyone can align themselves with at any stage of the day because it's going to keep you in a limited vibration. Even the most vibrant, outgoing people can, can be subjected to a level of fear. And as I sit here and chat to you today, today, I can say that, you know, I might be, I'd like to think that I'm totally fearless, but there are certain fears that govern me. I mean, that's a part of life. But it's, I think it's just becoming consciously aware of what the fear is and how it's playing out in your life and being aware of that and thinking, hang on a minute, no, 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 I'm not buying that. That's the fear. That's keeping me in fear. And, you know, on that note, when you mentioned a moment ago about the world that we live in with all the fear that is around us now, I often say to people, Pip, that the way I look at it now, I say there are two wars that we're battling at the moment. As we all know, there's a this really is, I call it the great war. This I feel this is the greatest war of all that we're battling here, the, the, the war between the dark and the light, and that, that's no doubt that that is underway. Uh, so we're under siege from that. But the other war that we're also battling is, I call it, this is the information war. We're on, where there's information pumping into us from the moment we open our eyes until we close them at night. There's information all around us on the media, social media, people's opinions, ideas, thoughts, philosophies. We're being bombarded. And amongst all of that information, somewhere is the truth. But what is the truth? And who? Do, what do we believe and follow? And that's why I say to people, we have to learn to go with inside of us because we're looking externally for the answers to everything. But yep. really, if we have the courage to just stop and to go in with us and find that place of peace, that lake of tranquility and that love and that joy that's bubbling up with inside of us there and retreat to that and go and trust ourselves, that's how, you know, inevitably we start to change the world consciously because we're coming from a place of consciousness. But if we just put all of our power and all of our control in our external forces with external people or things, we're never going to find that place of happiness and we'll never be out of that fear unless we have the, the courage to go with you. It's such small things in like I, just earlier today, I took myself down to the beach and um, took my first swim for the season. And I'm just lying there <laughs> floating on the sea and just thinking, ah, oh, this is absolute bliss. You know, um, mm. there I am in the ocean. Very, very lucky to be in that position. But it's the small things in life. And we make big of um things and as you say we're bombarded with information and really it's an awareness of what lifts the spirit and what actually damages oh, the spirit it's huge 100 percent correct mm. often because people say oh my gosh where am i where do i rate on my fear or where do am i am i attracting or am i deflecting i said well i can answer that in one simple word how do you feel yeah. because how you feel dictates where your vibrations at Yep. So if you're feeling on top of the world, you're, vibe, you're vibing high. If you're feeling like crap and you just feel like the world is caving in, well, you know what? What is making you feel like that? Yeah. So whatever or whoever that is, 
maybe you have to stay, take, start taking some steps towards protecting yourself from that situation there and raising your vibration. And I often say to people, now's the time in, in times of war, um, soldiers build fortresses to protect themselves. Well, we need to protect ourselves by building a fortress around our mind. So yeah. I'm very mindful of what and who I allow into my life. Yeah. So I will only allow things and people in that are going to raise my vibration and make me feel good because that's what I try and pour into other people. You yeah. know, um, that's the only way. Because you know what, darling, you and I cannot change the world individually, but collectively, consciously, we all can. But we have to work on it on one person by person basis. And it starts by keeping your vibration high. Absolutely. And if you don't know what it is that's pulling you down, for me, it's about creating awareness as to what actually lifts you up. So using the five senses, mm. Um, mm. it's just to tap into that, you know, just be mindful of the patterns that you have. And first thing in the mm. morning, I'll watch something inspirational to lift, lift the spirit. Um, and I just love, there's nothing nicer than actually um, babies giggling. That's one thing. It's just complete and utter bliss. Give me a couple of minutes of that and I'm on a high for the rest of the day. <laughs> that's, exa that's exactly right. And the thing that has replaced television for me, because I, I as I said, I've not watched TV for probably a good six or seven years now, is music. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm a massive music freak. In fact, my two great loves in life is music and humour. So I'll often, um, I'm a big, I'm a massive YouTube watcher. So I'll, I will watch things on YouTube that are going to either educate me or make me laugh. Uh, so and what, that's what it your, is. What makes you laugh? Oh, my gosh. Um, so many things. I love spoofs. I, uh, I love um, watching comedians. There's just, uh, there's, I've got lots of um, uh, comedy that I, I tune into. Um, I mean, I'm a huge uh, Barry Humphreys fan, Dame Edna. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I mean, I've got a lot of, uh, you know, I just, I love uh, comedy. Um, George Carlin is an, another, have you heard of George Carlin? No, I haven't, no. Okay. Well, well, very sadly, George passed away about two years ago, two or three years ago. I think he was aged about 78, but he was a, a satirist, a humorist and a philosopher. And um, he's just hilarious, American guy. And um, I've got I've watched many of his clips, and I'll often watch uh, his clips to give me a laugh. And he just tears the place apart. He just calls BS when it's BS. So it's his way of having a shot at the political system. Uh, he's telling the truth about what's going on out there, but he makes it in turns it into comedy, and it's hilarious. So uh, I really that really <laughs> yeah, very much. I so I suggest you tap in and have a listen to him when you can because. Uh, He's amazing. So, I mean, it might be that or it might be some some music. I'm very much into uh, all, vir virtually all genres of music, um, but I'm a massive fan of a, of a guy called John Wilson, and he's an Irish um, orchestral uh, guy. He's got his own orchestra, the, the, the John Wilson Orchestra, and he plays a lot of the uh, the big band stuff and a lot of the... Uh, He's got like a full orchestra, and it's all it's all there with a with a camera a, a crew. So I love watching I love watching an orchestra play. And you know what? There's a message in that too, Pip. And I'll tell you why. When I see, like, say, a symphony orchestra playing, to me, that's reflective. To me, it's a wonderful metaphor for humanity, because every one of us has an instrument to play in this beautiful orchestra of life. But what's your instrument? Yeah. Because your instrument is contributing. 
my instrument is flower reading so I might be the clarinet, for example, but, you know, uh, they might say it sounds nice on its own, but put it with an orchestra of yeah. all the other gifts and talents of a pianist and a harpist and a flautist and all those sorts of things. And suddenly you've got this cacophony of magnificence coming together in humanity and we are one massive orchestra. So we must attune ourselves to what our gift and talent is because that is our contribution to that orchestra. It's a collective energy, isn't it? It's super. I mean, I make the same analogy myself. You just can't beat it. And without, without a particular person in it, there's, you can't pinpoint it. But there's something missing, and it's just it just goes to show that everybody has got some value to contribute to this whole um, orchestra, mm. life, basically. Mm. Oh, co correct. And I I refer to the great divine creator because I refer to whether people call it God, Jehovah, Buddha or what have you, it doesn't really matter, but I, I always use divine creator. And I say the divine creator is the conductor and yep. we are the orchestra. So um, everything conducts in harmony. And if we think that things aren't in harmony, I immediately turn to nature and I look at nature. And I think, you know what, all is good, all is in hand. And I um, mean, to stand in front of a waterfall, for example, and think, gee whiz, that waterfall has been trickling away there for over a million years. And when we are long since gone and finished and all the dramas that are enveloping us now are all relegated to the pages of history, that waterfall will still be trickling away like nothing ever happened. Mm. So we are here as nothing more than a mere flash in the sky, just a, a beautiful comet that Brian, the, like a, 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 what do they call a big flare that flashes in the night for a few seconds. It's bright and then it's gone. It's all over. Love it. Love the idea, the fact that you're a comet. I and mean, you were talking about music. Um, is there a particular book or person that has influenced you and uh, and how have they? Well, gee, there are many. There are many books and uh, many authors and uh, many things and many people that have influenced me over the time. But one of the one of the great books that has really helped me on my comeback trail from where I was um, 12 years ago was the book called The Wisdom of Florence Scovel Shin. And I'll spell it out for your listeners. It's Florence, and her middle name is Scovel, S-C-O-V-E-L. And her last, uh, her hyphenated surname is S-H-I-N-N, The Wisdom of Florence Scovel Shin. Now, Florence was born in the late 1800s, and she died in 1944. And uh, that book, The Wisdom of Florence Scovel Shin, is a collective of four different books that she wrote over her time. One of the four, uh, sorry, four of the many books that she did write. But all of these are compiled in one book. And uh, that book I refer to as my Bible because it, um, it's, it's, it's almost biblical in the way that it's written, uh, Pip, but it's beautiful in the sense that when you look at it, it's extraordinary to think that it was written in the 1910s, 1920s. But the information, the wisdom in those books in that that are in the collective of the one, I'm telling you now, they are as relevant today as, as they are. They are as relevant today as they were back then, then, and as they ever ever will be in history, because it's all based on universal law. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I've read um, one of the books uh, about the game of life. Yes, and how to play it. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. it. 
So it, that influenced basically um, the book that I'm writing called Life's a Load of Balls. Um, and my balls are basically balls of energy, but it's also about these conditions that we uh, we grow up, which which actually are a load of bollocks. So there's a play on yes. that. And, and um, the teachings that she gives, is there any particular one that has stuck with you from her teachings? Yes. One of, her, one of, her, one of the great lessons I've learned is how to dig your ditches. Have right. you ever heard of that one? I have, but I, I um, can you enlighten our listeners? <laughs> I will certainly enlighten you. This is something I teach because it's something that I actually put into practice, dug my ditches, and, oh, my Lordy, boy, is it delivered. Digging your ditches, I often say to people, do you dig your ditches? And they go, oh, what does that mean? Well, you know what? It simply means prepare for that that you so desire. Let me explain how this works. Uh, there's a section in her book which talks about digging your ditches and the importance of it. And it actually comes back to biblical um, terms. Now, uh, let's say, for example, that um, a, a farmer who is um, drought-stricken and uh, is um, desperate for rain to feed his uh, cattle and to um, grow some crops and what have you, He's desperate for rain. The worst thing or the, the most fruitless thing he could do is to fall on his knees in the paddock and beg for rain from the universe, saying, please, universe, send me some rain, please. If he actually sat there and just begged and begged and pleaded, it would be almost a fruitless exercise because he is not showing faith in the rain. He's desiring something, but he's not showing faith in its arrival. He's so acknowledging the lack that, of it. The, correct. He's acknowledging the lack. So to turn that all around, instead of dropping to his knees in prayer and begging and praying for the rain to come, the most powerful thing that farmer can do is in good faith, without a word to the universe, is to show the faith, sorry, to show the universe in good faith that he's preparing for that that he so desires. And how he does that, he will go in and he'll dig out all his uh, raincoats, his umbrellas, his gumboots, and put them all out on the veranda or put them out in the paddock to show the universe that he's preparing for the rain. And so therefore, the next thing he needs to do is to dig his ditch, which means dig a hole that he's showing the universe, I'm digging a ditch to collect the rain. Mm -hmm. I need the rain. So that's what the terminology is, to dig your ditches. So for that that you so desire, you need to, to dig your ditch and you need to show great faith and preparation that it is uh, that is it, it, that it is coming for us. Now, a way for us to dig our ditches in the way that I did it for me, um, back when I was penniless, broken, staying with my friend Diana down in um, down in um, Corumban, I created a vision board, and uh, lots of people have created vision boards, and um, vision boards are very very powerful, and when they're put together. Um, you know, in with the right energy and vibration. It's a very powerful thing to do because you're creating a statement for, for that that you so desire and you're showing this to the universe. Now, to add some real power to that too, Pip, one thing I recommend people to do is to write a list to the universe. So write a, put a vision board together of the pictures of the things or the situations you so desire, remembering that we can manifest anything. It doesn't have to be a material thing. We can manifest a relationship. We can manifest a new job. Uh, we can manifest so many things. A lot of people think manifestations just about money and physical things. Those things are a part of it, but that's not the whole lot of it. Manifestation is all about a vibration to, to align yourself to that that you so desire. And, uh, and when you collect, 
bringing in the feeling Sorry? of how you will feel. Uh, oh, absolutely. You've got to bring in the feeling. You've got to feel. You've just got to feel that. You've got to feel it. You've got to smell it, you know. And uh, over the course of the years, I've, um, I remember my um, former wife and I, uh, we created a vision board back when we started our little business. And every single thing on that vision board came to pass. But as I said, life took its twists and turns the way that it did. And um, I, I remember thinking, my God, well, I've used a vision board before and it turned my life around. So I'd better smack to it and get into it again because I'd lost my way. Uh, I'd lost my uh, sense of self and my sense of self-worth. I lost all those things. And because I lost those things and was in that vibration, that's why I was left feeling like I had nothing and that I was nothing because I was not giving the universe any pictures of what I'd so desired. So I remember one of the first vision boards I put together, I cut out a picture of a beautiful apartment that I found in an, in an American magazine. And it was, it looked like a little penthouse, not a little bit, it looked like a, a penthouse of some sort. And I cut it out. I thought, gee whiz, that would be something I would love to, uh, love to um, acquire one day. And it was beautifully furnished and um, it had Versace mats on the floor and white leather lounge and overlooked a beach and a canal and it was, had a beautiful big mirror wall behind it. So I cut that picture out and put it in the top left-hand corner of my vision board. And there it remained for six years and I'd actually taken the vision board down and put it into storage because I moved into Diana's, um, you know, little, um, she had a beautiful small apartment. I had a little bedroom there. I had no room to put it there and I stuck it in storage. And, you know, but over the next five years, that magic was going to work. And without uh, giving you the long drawn outs of the story, uh, I met a lady who came to see me for a reading who was quite a wealthy lady. And uh, she invited me to her apartment one day to have lunch. And she cooked me lunch. And um, we were chatting about my journey and my path and how I'd lost everything. And she said, well, how do you plan on getting your life back together? What sort of place would you like to buy one day? Would you like a house or an apartment? And I said, oh, gosh, my days of homes are over now because I live on my own and I'd much prefer the lifestyle of an apartment because it allows me to close the door and I can just travel travel and go wherever I want and uh, not have to worry about houses and yards and upkeep. <laughs> and she said, what sort of apartment would you like? I said, actually, I'd love one like yours. This is stunning. And she shrugged her shoulders and she said, well, you can have it if you want. I said, well, thanks, love. That's very kind of you. But I said, uh, honey, I couldn't afford this. No way in the world. And I said, where are you going to live? She said, look. I own five apartments in this building. I can just move into one of the others and start renovating that. She was a professional renovator. And I said, oh, okay. And anyway, I said, well, look, thanks anyway. But I said, oh, I, I couldn't afford this. And I said, I've got to be honest, honey, I've got no money. You know, so the bank is going to laugh at me. And she said, she just laughed and she said, well, um, who needs the bank? I said, well, honey, unlike you, I said, I, I obviously do. She said, I will be your bank. And I said, what? She said, I will be your bank. And she said, I'll provide you with vendor finance to uh, to finance this. And you won't need a deposit. We'll just work out an agreement. We'll put all the contracts together if you'd like it. So long story short, she crunched the numbers, showed it to me, and I couldn't believe it. I thought, my God. So I said yes wow. to the deal. And at that moment, we popped the champagne. And I was so excited. I said, would you mind if I take a photo of my new home? And she said, sure. I took a photo of that house, of, of that apartment, Pip. And you know what? You won't believe this, but the photo, I bought, that, I bought the apartment fully furnished. It is almost identical to the picture that I have on my vision board because it had Versace mats on the floor, white leather lounge, mirror on the wall behind it. It had the canal and it overlooks the beach. So oh, wow. it's just Be careful crazy. 
be careful what you wish for. And one year after I decided to jump into this crazy deal, I actually came into an unexpected financial windfall and I was able to buy her out. Wow. Wow. Never so, say never. And, and <laughs> the, correct. And she said to me, she gave me a big hug. And when I said, yes, I'll buy it, she said, I'll tell you now, she said, if you jump, the universe will jump with you, David. I said, I know. I know. Well, it's always done that. She said, but step out of your fear, step into the what you can uh, accomplish, step into what you can attract. And I did. And it worked. And now I own this beautiful apartment there that it's almost unbelievable to think, my God, where I was 12 years ago. I mean, if somebody had done a reading for me 12 years ago and shown me where I live now and what I've got in my life, I wouldn't have believed them. But here it is. Excellent. So that's what the beauty of the imagination. Just don't um don't Correct. trapped in to what you actually think is feasible. Just um like children, it's um just let it play basically, eh? Oh, oh sweetheart. I often say to people, just where's the inner child? Play, connect to the inner child. You know, I remember when I was a kid, oh my god, I was back in the late 60s and the big thing on it with every little boy back then, we all wanted to be astronauts and go to the moon like Neil Armstrong, you know, and yeah. you know, all the, the Apollo space, space mission was in play, you know, or Apollo 11, Apollo 9, and all the Apollo flights, and oh, we're all Google-eyed, you know, wondering what it would be like to travel into space. And I think every kid wanted to travel into space except me, but probably <laughs> because I was already a space cadet anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> but... Um, but, you know, all that, but the funny thing was, of all my mates who wanted to be astronauts, not one of us ever said, oh, how could you be an astronaut? You'll never be an astronaut. It didn't enter our mind. It's like, oh, yeah, wouldn't that be cool? Imagine being an astronaut. We just dreamed of dreams and, and you know, we just encouraged. We, everyone had a dream of some sort. But you never see kids saying, oh, you haven't got the brains to be an astronaut or you can't do this or blah, blah, blah. It's just kids just... They live in a world of magic and possibility. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And growing up, we end, end up quashing it and um, putting all those um, conditions on well, we, that sort of thing. Mm. Well, we do, honey. And I mean, again, another example is the fact that there's no, um, when you're on the school curricul curriculum, there's no... Um, there's oh, no provision right. there for flower reading. <laughs> <laughs> what I said at the beginning, which is a really good um, way for us to actually wrap up. Um, I've just got one last question for you. Is there um, one thing in the world that you would change and um, why? The one thing I would change, if I, if I had the power to change one thing in the world, it would be for people to accept every person, every other person unconditionally. Just accept them unconditionally. If I tell you what, if we had, if we lived in a world of no conditions, we would we would be almost devoid of all the problems we have now. There'd be no division. There'd be no criticism. There'd be no judgment. There'd be no vilification. There'd be no um, um, decrying anyone. Everyone would just accept who they, who the other person is for who they are and for their journey. And if we were smart enough we'd be able to sit down and say, what can you teach me? Because this is what I've got, you know? Fantastic. Fantastic. What a wonderful way to end. Thank you so much for your time, David. It's been um, Thank a you, fantastic Philippa. way to start off. Much appreciated. <laughs> You're very welcome, sweetheart. Well, thank you very much. And uh, for all of those that are watching and listening, thank you very much for joining Philippa and I today. It's been a pleasure. And I look forward to uh, catching up with you another time sometime. All right. Mwah. Big hugs. Take care. Yep, you too, darling. Thank you. Bye.
Next week, I'll be talking to Jules Smith about the beautiful cycle of life and how we can weave it into the fabric of our own lives. So until then, dig deep, open your mind to a world of possibilities, live life with a generous heart and take steps to minimise waste and maximise your own potential.